Cucumber, cucumber. Rutabaga, rutabaga. Alright. Good job, guys. I think we can call it a day. Alright. See you next week. See you next week. It's been another episode of Dooge's Morning Zoo. Okay, I did just manage to turn off my click track, which was actually on. <laughs> but none of those buttons were were purple before I uh, pressed record, so it is oh it is not uh, uh, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. I just turned my, okay. I just turned my click track on. Good, excellent. Good. Welcome, welcome back, listeners. Welcome back, True Believers, to another episode of Cinema Excelsior. Uh, this week we, we have a, an exciting roundtable, our largest roundtable ever, because this, this film is such a landmark that we really felt like we needed to see it from all angles. Um, starting on the digital left. My digital left, anyway. I, I keep saying, like, digital left and digital right, but really I realize that Google has arranged these screen icons differently for all of you. Mm-hmm. So I have no idea who's to your digital <laughs> left or my di- or your or digital right, but the canonical digital left and right, which will be mine. To the far digital left, uh, we have Mr. Daniel Watson-Jones. Meow. <laughs> uh, dude will be today playing the part of Tattoo. All right. Yep. <laughs> the only tattoos that I have are a series of cats. So I can just <laughs> cats of all different sizes and shapes <laughs> appear from you my body. You also have philosophical statements on your body. Those could hunt people down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just tattoo the word ennui on your bicep. <laughs> uh, to Dooge's digital right, uh, first time guest, we have Laura Felshow. Say hey, hi, Laura. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, you are being granted the title of Typhoid for this episode. <laughs> oh, amazing. Thank yeah. you. That means uh, you get to make out with Jennifer Garner. Oh, Excellent. I'll take wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. No. Yeah. <laughs> to Laura's digital right, uh, Lillian DeRitter, you're going to be playing the part of Kinko today, which means you have to balance a coin on your fingers for the entire recording. I, I will try. I will do okay. my zen best. Good. To Lillian's digital right, we have Nick Bester. Hello. Nick is going to be playing the part of Stone. Okay. I will try not to get killed by a tree. <laughs> <laughs> he should have... Uh, never mind. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Yep. Uh, and I am Stephen Claypool, and I am going to be playing the part of McCabe, because he is clearly the Bill Paxton surrogate for this film. And this is game <laughs> over, man. Game over. <laughs> So, this is Electra. Uh, b- before we get started, just a, a brief introduction to the film. Um, you know what? I'm not even sure if it's worth it. No, we'll, we'll do it. A um, couple things. Starring Jennifer Garner, of course, reprising her role from Daredevil, although you wouldn't know that by looking at the script. Uh, written by Zach Penn and by the dynamic duo of Stu Zickerman and Raven Metzner. Uh, you will never hear the name Stu Zickerman or Raven Metzner again in anything, but you will hear the name Zach Penn again on this podcast. And directed by Rob Bowman, uh, who's a producer and a director on a ton of TV, uh, X-Files, Castle, Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., Parker Lewis Can't Lose, he directed an episode of that. Oh, my God. Um, 
but for for our purposes, probably most notable, uh, he directed several episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation, including Q Who. Q Who? Yeah, the first Borg episode. Ah. Yeah, I mean he, he's he is a a well respected and successful television director, television director. Um, a, as always. Begin with a brief recap of the film, and then we'll launch into our discussion. So we begin our film in a secret compound, which is somewhere in some place. I would be more specific, but the film never is about any location, so we're just going to call it Vancouver. (laughs) We begin in a secret compound, somewhere on the outskirts of Vancouver, where Jason Isaacs is holed up drinking whiskey by a fireplace. Despite the presence of a crack squad of mercenaries, he is confident that he is about to be killed by a mysterious assassin. So he's kind of a downer person. Uh, his mysterious assassin also apparently has the powers of a ghost. Ooh. Sure enough, all of the mercenaries fall one by one, and Jason Isaacs himself gets killed by none other than, spoiler alert, Electra. Yes! The same Electra from the all-time classic Daredevil, in which Nick Bester's favorite actor killed her by impaling her with her own sigh, and thus bringing to an end what was, to that point, a poorly thought-out and realized character arc. But wait, now she's alive again, thanks to Terrence Stamp, holy hero that he is, laying his hands on her and using a mysterious ninja power called Kimagure, I think it was, to bring her back to life. After a falling out with Terrence Stamp, Electra heads back into the world, intent on killing people she's never met before, and never considering telling the man she loved that she was not actually dead. Jason Isaacs, however, is now very much dead, which leaves the board of directors of the secret organized ninja Yakuza, or Sony... I'm sorry, the board of directors of The Hand. It leaves the board of directors of The Hand. Very upset. The guy who played Shang Tsung in Mortal Kombat is apparently chairman of the board, and he tells his son, Karigi to be patient, but the young buck is having none of it, believing that they need to be working harder to retrieve the treasure before it slips through their fingers. Electra's contact McCabe, played ably by Bill Paxton, I'm sorry, played by Colin Cunningham, is basically the Joan Cusack to her Martin Blank. He tells her of a new job that she has to go to, which will require her to live in Gaius Baltar's Canadian estate for a few days, before killing someone else. During her stay, she meets kleptomaniac Abby and her father, Mark. They bond inexplicably over Christmas dinner and the fact that both Electra and Abby's mother were killed before Electra learns that, surprise, they're the ones she is supposed to be killing. Her conscience kicks in when she saves Abby and Mark before going on the run with them, with the hands exploding ninjas in hot pursuit. After reuniting briefly with Terrence Stamp, Electra decides that she and the Millers should hole up in the McCabe farmhouse. This does not end well, especially for McCabe, as Karigi and his squad of super-powered henchmen, cleverly named Stone, who is really strong and impervious to things, Typhoid, who makes things die, Kinko, who balances coins on his hand, and Tattoo, who is not played by Hervé Villachez, all arrive to wreak havoc. Kinko, Stone, and McCabe are all killed, and we learn that Abby actually has magical ninja powers. Yes, she is the treasure. Typhoid kisses Electra to death before Terrence Stamp and the Judean People's Front Crack Suicide Squad show up to save the day. Rescued, Electra learns that Terrence Stamp set up the entire job with the Millers to begin with, hoping to inspire compassion in her. 
Electra challenges Karigi to a fight where it all began. That is, where Karigi killed her mother years earlier in the old Nachos estate, also in Vancouver. There is a climactic fight scene, people get killed, Electra gets revenge, and Abby gets typhoided. But wait, now that she's pure of heart or something, Electra is able to lay her hands on Abby and resurrect her, thus ensuring that Abby too will have the opportunity to star in sequels with tenuous connections to their source material. Electra says goodbye to Abby and Mark, reconciles with Terrence Stamp, and marches off to future adventures, the likes of which we are still waiting to see to this day. The end. <laughs> I would, I would oh, like that's... to posit that we saw different films, because the film I saw, everyone in it was a ghost. <laughs> everyone who dies disappears in a puff of green smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, several people are covered in sheets at several points. Yes, they are. And our main character can transcend both time and space. And also has returned from the dead. Two characters return from the dead. Or potentially has not returned from the dead. You've all, you've introduced an interesting interpretation of this film that I would like to explore in greater depth. <laughs> well, it did feel like I was in purgatory for a while. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. left out in your summary the very boring, very bad introduction where it sort of explains that there's this whole stupid war that's been going on for all time between good and evil, and evil is the hand. I could have and probably just read that that intro word for word. It's awful. And it, and and the way that it's phrased, it's led to me, it, you're supposed to think that Electra is the chosen one, but then gasp! Spoilers! Abby's the chosen one! Also, I learned uh, very early on in the film that the better an assassin is, the closer they get to you uh, before they kill you. Well, it's an anti-bullseye so, movie. It's a, it's a non-ranged yeah. weapons movie. <laughs> no ranged weapons. Except for the Psy, or the Katana, which, which we which learned are constantly are used as ranged weapons. weapons. Or, or the fact, compound bow. Yeah, at the end, she doesn't she use throws it, though. A she has an ethical quandary. She's like, mile. no, no ranged weapons. I can't kill them this way. And then she goes in and realizes she can't kill them. Mm. So well, she kills everyone from a distance with the sigh. Uh, yeah. I mean, at the end, she throws that through the, through like ten walls of a hedge maze, at least a half a mile. Field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about a football field away. She just mm-hmm. throws it. Also, so, they never. I mean, presumably, she was brought back to life after she was killed in Daredevil. No, no, before that, she was killed in Daredevil. Well. Other than that, there is no indication whether this movie takes place before or after Daredevil, except for a deleted scene in which she has a dream about Ben Affleck. Which could have... I have been assuming that this was a prequel until well into the movie. (laughs) Yes. So, let's, um... Having got that out of the way, let's begin with just sort of introductory opening thoughts on the movies. And Laura, as the new panelist, you can begin. Opening thoughts on the film. (coughs) Oh, I get that dubious honor? Excellent. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, my opening thoughts. I'm going to be uh, the odd man out here and say this film is not as bad as I remembered it to be. Okay. Um, that I is remember... a faint phrase. I like it. Go on. <laughs> I know. I remember going to see this movie the day it came out in New York City, and I was so excited to see it. And, oh, it was so disappointing. But watching it again now, many, many, many years later... Um, like I said, not not as bad as I remember. Oh, it does have some very troubling issues in terms of motherhood. That I think we can dig we can dig into later on in the podcast if you guys want to. Yes. Oh, oh I'll th- yes, I'll throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, dude, your your opening take on the film, or, or have you already offered it with your interpretation about ghosts and prequels? Well, I would like to offer that the film's actual thesis is that people with OCD can grow up to live very fulfilling lives. <laughs> That's true. Yep. Yep. Nailed it. Uh, Lillian, your thoughts. Um. Sort of similar to Lauren, actually, I found myself, at least for the... I think part of it was just seeing Jason Isaacs, and Jason Isaacs makes me feel so safe and so artistically... Because because Awake. Because shows like Awake. Um, mm. And movies like The I, Patriot. I actually liked yeah, that first Yeah, don't forget sequence. The Patriot. Yeah, I really... I, mm. I was like, ooh, she's a badass. Like, this is very... Like, they're building they're building this character up. It's a nice character introduction. I wasn't bothered by the, by the actual prequel graphic situation but it so quickly went downhill that I was so frustrated with it by the end because I think it was trying to do a bunch of really interesting things and didn't stop to do any of them and instead it <laughs> felt like a fever dream of somebody trying to pitch Electra to somebody at a comic shop it was like she does this and she does this and she's this person and she's that person and, and there was but, no she, went, but she was dead and then she no she's not dead anymore and someone else chimed in occasionally, and those parts exactly. were also used. And it just it, it made me really upset, because I know that Jennifer Garner didn't like this movie, and I understand why. Um, it just, again, it feels like a serious missed opportunity. Nick Bester, your thoughts? Uh, I, I don't know if I would say this is the worst movie we've watched, but I definitely think it is the most boring movie that we've watched. <laughs> More uh, boring than Hulk? Yes. Because I was at least, like, frustrated with Hulk enough that, like, it... I, I was paying attention to how much I didn't like Hulk. It engaged you enough to make you mad. This did not, like... I seriously needed uh, Stefan's recap there just to remind me of what had happened. <laughs> having watched it yeah. two days ago. Uh, it's just... It's incredibly dull and... Um, it just feels really inconsequential in a lot of ways. Like, there's no real point to why this movie exists. It doesn't seem to be trying to tell, you know, an interesting story. <laughs> uh, and I think there's certain aspects of it, like, just probably from it being directed by, you know, someone better known for television and certainly it's Vancouver locales. It almost feels like an episode of the Electra TV show. Or the pilot, like yeah. Yeah, like, like the backdoor pilot for, like, an ongoing, like, she'll have, like, sort of picaresque adventures around various parts of the country that are secretly Vancouver. Um, and every so often, Abby will pop in. Uh, and it just, it just feels really boring. Um, and uh, it also has some, uh, Laura talked about problematic things involving motherhood. There's also some problematic things involving representations of, uh, of Asians uh, in the film, given that the forces of evil are entirely represented by a board of dire- uh, Japanese board of directors. Yep. Uh, I know. It's shocking. It's shocking. I know. It's incredible. I, and then and then all of the good ninjas are, you know, white guys like uh, Terrence Stamp. I will point out, this is far from the first Marvel film where we've had to talk about Japanese issues. No, this is true. Though we haven't had to for a while. It was like all the things from like the late 80s and early 90s. And then we had about... 
That's then true. we had like a decade where it wasn't really an issue, and now we have all of the evil people, or at least all of the Asian people in this movie are evil. Not necessarily all the evil people are Asian. So, as I said, I do have a list. I made a list of every female-led comic book movie and TV series I could find. Just comic book, not even narrowing to superhero. I can come up with four off the top of my head, including this one. All right, so Supergirl, yeah. Catwoman, yeah. Tank Girl, yeah, Vampirella, Barb yeah. Wire. That is that is a comic book, yeah. Ghost World, which is I think the oh, only oh. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, Lady novel, Death the movie. Yeah, it's a graphic novel. <laughs> uh, Lady Death the movie. No idea what that is. Okay. Painkiller Jane. Okay. Red Sonja. Forgot that that was a movie, but sure, yeah. Sheena, starring Tanya Roberts. I don't know what that is. Josie and the Pussycats, which is an Archie comic. Yeah, okay, sure. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is another Archie comic. Sure. And Blue is the Warmest Color. Uh, You forgot uh, Birds of Prey. uh, No, 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 that's what I'm saying. Those were the movies. The oh, TV okay. series, oh, okay. Wonder Woman with Linda Carter, Woo! Witchblade, Birds of Prey, yes. The Secret of Isis, which ran for one year opposite Shazam. What? And then upcoming, <laughs> upcoming, you've got iZombie, you've got Agent Carter, and you've got Jessica Jones. Okay. So I it's think more, got, it's a lot. It's a lot more than I expected. Yeah, but only a couple of them are any good. Sure. Um. When I think about this film, even put aside all of the background with women comic book characters, put aside the background with bizarre stereotypes, all that, the only thing I can think of with this film is this film should have been subtitled The Final Contractual Obligation. This film (laughs) felt like a contractual obligation for everyone involved. Yes. It's... Everyone is sleepwalking through the film. There... I love Terrence Stamp. Terrence Stamp is very clearly get, just collecting his paycheck in this film. Oh, it's, yeah. It, it's a lazy film. And, Lillian, you referred to the idea of, you know, there there being ideas there that you thought could have been run with. And I thought almost every part of this film, it was the minimum viable product of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we assemble this in such a way as to get it in theaters and do nothing it's- more with it? Because we have to burn this film we have on Jennifer Garner's contract, mm-hmm. um, which I think, which I think goes into sort of my observation of it kind of feeling TV because I mean certainly the the Vancouver setting mm-hmm. certainly it feels cheap. Yeah, but I mean X Men, especially X Two, was filmed largely yeah. in Vancouver. Yes, but filmed but, with a cinematic eye. Yeah, exactly. This this feels very much like. Not that. Well, I I also feel like we should ca- talk about like when we say contractual obligation, what that actually means in industry terms for anybody who's listening and doesn't know. Okay. Um, allow me to put on my my ex job hat. Um, working in a talent agency, the way that um, Marvel or really any franchise will tend to do their contracts is they'll put a series of options of various kinds into an actor's contract. Um, it used to be, you know, it's a three-picture deal, it's a five-picture deal. Um, now Marvel contracts include guest spots on <laughs> any of their television shows, um, 
and at set at a fixed rate and they include you know they, they include theme park rights they include all kinds of things now that are sort of a result of Iron Man, <laughs> a result of the modern yeah. Marvel Cinematic Universe. But the thing that you have to understand about options, if you don't know what that term means, is that basically a studio can coerce an actor into clearing their schedule for a film. Um, and like a good example is Emma Stone, I think, has two more movies on her Spider-Man contract, defa- despite the fact that, spoiler alert, mm. she's dead. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it, I actually have not seen that yet and was looking forward to it. I'm so sorry, you should have seen The Coat and Known. Um, The Coat? Yeah. She had the the Gwen Stacy I legitimately did not know. Dude, I I think that the statute of limitations on Gwen Stacy is dead has passed at this point. But the movie just came out on DVD like within the last month, didn't it? Uh, I don't know. Gwen Stacy's been dead for 40 years. It's okay. Okay. Well, we can um, believe pardon me for I'm having sorry. never read a Spider-Man comic. I'm sorry. <laughs> Lillian, th- thank, thank you for, like, walk, walking us there, because I, I did not know, like, that there, yeah. there was no, that Yeah, no, I mean, and especially, it's especially interesting because you, basically, you pay the actor almost up front. Like, you, you pay mm-hmm. an additional fee in order to monopolize their time that way. And you, and you pay them to do yeah. the movie, of course, but it's also, it's, it's basically a holding fee. Um, so the problem was that if they didn't do this movie and they were already taking a, a financial loss, um, yeah. it sort of becomes a risk scenario of we have we have Jennifer Garner who's at pretty much the height of her powers because of Alias. I don't remember what season this was, was. Like but third she, or fourth of Alias. Yeah, yeah. Like she, she was right a big as it was deal. starting to turn. Honestly, <laughs> she was a marketable property, um, and I think that's the problem is that you sort of probably what happened is the studio tried to do a, a cost benefit analysis and realized that the holding fee that they were paying was not, <laughs> they could make this movie cheaply enough to justify actually doing the movie and trying to make money on it. And the movie cost $43 million and grossed total worldwide $56 million. I they am- made some money. I am honestly shocked that this thing cost $40 million. I, I, I bet a good 25 to 30 of that was in. I don't know. I mean, salary. look at the look at that scene in the house towards the end with all of the sheets floating up in the air. Yeah, she, there, 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 was a, there were a lot of special effects in this. Like, it was just constant effects. Um, before, before we dive into the meat of the film, what little meat there is... Um, Laura and Dooge both were very proud before we started of having done some background research on Elektra. Uh, <laughs> Laura, do you want to talk a little bit about Elektra as a character and as a comic book idea? All right, Elektra as a comic book idea. So I pull out my, my handy uh, Marvel encyclopedia here. Oh, my. <laughs> nice. I looked at that in the store the other day. Yeah, serious business, guys, okay? Um, and I also dug out my... Issue of Daredevil. Oh my! Her original, her original death, <laughs> um, which is um, lovingly mimicked in Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, lovingly is a good word for it. Yeah. Um, She's so, uh, taking the comic out of the wrapper. <gasps> out of the wrapper, guys. It's nine point seven. Nine point six. Nine point three. Eight point five. <laughs> it's all exposed to the air. It's just trouble. Oh no. Um, 
I don't know how how far back do you want me to go with Electra? Do you want like me to read her her backstory? I mean, just like here, give, give us a, when, when we look at Ele- from this movie, all we would know of Electra is she is a Greek woman ninja assassin in red. In red. In red. Is she, is she anything more than that? Is there anything about her character in the comics that distinguishes her and makes her compelling beyond her archetypical description? Well, what is entirely lost in the film is that she's psychotic. Okay. <laughs> yep, yep, that's not in there. Go I on. mean, in Frank Miller's original version of her, um, and everything since then, she is utterly batshit insane. And she hears voices, and she's incredibly violent, and that is, I think, entirely lost in in Jennifer Gar- Garner's portrayal of her. And that's But scripts. she's got OCD. She's crazy. Yeah, I mean, o- OCD yeah. and being psychotic are you know, totally interchangeable, I know. Um, <laughs> but, yes. yeah. In terms of the, her the comic book and the on-screen portrayal, um, her mental instability is, is completely lost. Hmm. Dudes, was there anything from, uh, from your tome that you managed to dredge up that you think would be helpful in characterizing at least maybe what they were trying to do with Electra, like how they were trying to define her, what they were trying to draw on? Um... No, not really. I mean, it, I got some background. All right, well, on, good work, dude. <laughs> I got some background on the fact that there are these characters named Stick and Stone who are uh, masters of certain uh, types of fighting, uh, and th- I think there were seven pre-existing, and she wanted to be the eighth, so she chooses the the size, and mm-hmm. not to be clear, not the kind of size that the audience is using throughout the film. As as we begin to think about the film, you know, we've we've categorized it as boring, we've categorized it as, you know, contractual obligation, any number of things. Some it, some issues that came out during the the opening. Uh I would say general portrayal of women in comics, a specific portrayal of motherhood, and portrayal of our uh our Asian villains. Uh, where do we want to start on this, or do we, which theme do we want to begin with? Anyone? Well, just to start, I'd like to start with the start of the with the beginning of the film, um, <laughs> and the, the narration. <laughs> well, not even the narration, but the fact that this is supposed to be a redemption story, mm-hmm. um, and we never get to see anything that makes Electra bad. They start off with her already on this path to being redeemed, and you never get to see her actually be a badass except for that scene with Jason Isaacs. Jason um, Isaacs yeah, starts so out much. as an assassin, so right? But he, he, even the scene with Jason Isaacs, though, the, the note that I made when I was watching that was, um, let's see. Uh, so we're being told that Elektra is a badass, likely because we will never see her being a badass. Yes. Well. I mean, we see her be an assassin once at the beginning of the film, and then the rest of the film she spends being what I have dubbed a de-assassin, where she is <laughs> preventing people from being assassinated. Yes. But, I mean, even then, we're, we're told right from, the, right from the beginning in that narration that the Hand are, like, the forces of darkness who are dedicated to destroying everything. And Jason Geisics is, like, part of the Hand. Yeah. So it's not, like, it's not like we think she's evil for killing him. He's a bad guy. Yeah, I really thought that uh, from all of the trailers and everything that I'd known about this movie before watching it this time, I thought that this was a prequel taking place in Japan about her training, and that that uh, 
would have actually made you more know, sense. The compound and stuff was where she originally came from, and then after she gets redeemed in this, she goes on to be in Daredevil. That but, would make a lot more sense, particularly as they had already killed the character, so they could have gone, how do we get this character back? Let's tell an origin story. They yeah. decided not to do that for reasons <laughs> yes. that are not clear. That are not no, clear. No, it's not. But there um, is, I mean, there is an interesting theme. I, it's not It's not a not viable plot line to play with the idea that she, Pat, one of Pat's themes, she came back wrong. So, so Je- Jennifer Garner gets brought back for this film. In, in this second go-round, since, you know, we're, we're using the option, we have to make this film while we have Jennifer Garner un- under contract on this, what does Jennifer Garner bring to the character the second time around? Alias. I, I would posit that she she is playing a death machine, uh, <laughs> and by that I mean a robotic ghost. <laughs> You're really hitting hard on the ghost thing. Although, I'm telling you, everyone's a ghost. Also, she is a robot because she has no emotions until the third act of the film. I and even like, then, it's I w- questionable. I would like to say, the same way that the same way that dudes thought, thought before seeing this movie that uh, this is like a prequel set in Japan about her training, I had somehow gotten in my head that this is a movie about essentially, I had uh, that I had somehow heard that this that they were all ghosts that this was like a like weird ninja battle happening with you know the forces of good and evil in Ghostland. Yes. So yes. you're not alone. I, I I was under that impression until watching it. And then it went no, they're not ghosts. Though it would have been way better had they been ghosts. I'm pretty that sure that they were. All right. Well, they didn't really develop that enough. <laughs> yeah, Jennifer Garner <laughs> supposedly told a journalist, and I think like I think in 2003 it said or something on IMDb that she did not like the movie, and she only did it for contractual reasons. Um, and I can imagine when the movie came out in 2005. Okay, right? yeah, maybe 2006. One of those numbers so. that has. Two zeros before the after the the two. The, the, the aughts were a messy time. <laughs> I didn't know whether you meant that she said it before the film had been released or after the film had been released. That was the only reason I mentioned yeah, it. I would have no. loved her to do it before. Um, you guys should not see this movie. <laughs> yeah, she just knew. She was like, no. Well, I think that's the thing, though, is that the it's it brings up that issue that came up with Ant-Man of getting Edgar Wright um, off the project was this idea of Marvel in general, especially now the actors don't get a lot of artists, like, they don't get what's called script approval, um, or, mm. I forget if what the term is, there's something like script collaboration, like, you, and you, that, that is obviously a deal that you get paid less money because you have script approval. And I feel like mm. it's very clear that Jennifer Garner did not have script approval. <laughs> um, and so she's grinding yeah. her teeth through most of it. Um, but that said, I mean, she, we know that she's a good actress, we know that she can be ver- very likable, and that she can and that she can mm-hmm. be very intense on Alias, so it's very depressing to see her sort of limping along here. <laughs> limping along is a good way to put it. <laughs> yes, and it's not, and it's not a good script. I mean, we'll probably get to this later, but uh, there's some awful dialogue, particularly for the main villain whose name I forget. Cutie, but, cutie. Yes. Now, I, you, but I mean, at some point he says. Uh, what is the exchange, Stefan? I remember you. Oh it. yeah, the exchange. Okay, so uh, not to oh. jump ahead, but there is a climactic scene where Electra is trying to 
get the villain to meet up for their final fight. And so she astral projects to him. Bear with me. Yes. And the exchange... she's a ghost. The exchange <laughs> is... Electra says, We will meet where it all began. And then Karigi says, And it will end where it all began. Yes. And then when they actually meet for the, for the uh, final one with their sheet fight... Mm-hmm. He, he bursts into the room and yells, Enough! It ends here! He just speaks in nothing but cliches. So the, the actor who played Karigi is a guy named Will Yoon Lee. The, uh, he's been in a gajillion things in kind of generic Asian villain roles, my favorite of which was he was the villain of the film Die Another Day before he was turned into a white guy. <laughs> oh, is that him? It's him. The guy who's got, like, all the diamonds in the No, no, not, not the diamond guy. The guy who then became, inexplicably became an Englishman. Okay, I forgot that answer to die another day then. Uh, I just re- There's a lot of bad things in that film. <laughs> I just remember. Yeah. The less you remember about that film, the better. While we're on this scene, though, I would like to point out that when he leaps into that room where all of the sheets are floating in ghostly because of his sheet floating power, <laughs> uh, he is holding the sword in front of him, pointed forward, and yet he is leaping into a sheet that the sword does not cut through. He is clearly a ghost. There is no other explanation. Also, it, up until that point, there is no indication that he has like wind powers. But suddenly during that fight, he's like he he like does like a bicycle kick and like. Special effect wind mm-hmm. blows See, everybody I, back, and all the sheets are doing well, all these things. Yeah, ninja magic. Yeah, totally ninja yeah, magic. I, I wasn't clear that magic existed until the mystical falcon tattoo slash graffiti. Yeah. Yes. The uh, oh my. God. Also, well, yeah. also the time movement and you know projecting, coming back from death and stuff well, like that. But you while we're on the subject of time so. magic, every so often she will have like a like flash forward, but mm-hmm. it's it's always like. A split second forward. Like, she will mm-hmm. picture that somebody is about to come through the door, and at yeah. that exact moment, somebody will come through the door. Well, she it's, did not finish her training, Nick. Yeah. It's not very good in terms of <laughs> future wait, sight. could she do that before she died? Because I feel like she would have not died then. Yeah, she would have seen it coming. Yeah. No, but she, it's not, it doesn't training. even seem like enough time to react to things. It's just like... Someone's about to come through the door. They come through the door. No, she reacted to that guy because she saw herself die, and then she avoided it when the guy was shooting guns at her in slow motion because it's the mid-2000s. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a post-Matrix world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Noted magic film. Yeah, noted Mm -hmm. magic film, The Matrix. I mean, there's a fair amount of ninja magic It's after the bullet time technology exists. Uh, where everyone does Matrix dodges all of yeah. the time. Have you seen Mission Impossible 2? It's almost unwatchable. <laughs> I, I've more. I've blocked that movie out. I really liked the first Mission Impossible. And oh, the it's se- great. The second that one is gone. a standalone off. amazing film. Yeah. I, like, I like all of the Mission Impossibles except for 2. I think they're a good series, but 2 is fucking awful. People are constantly ripping faces off. Oh. It's good. directed by John Woo, uh, amazingly. Of, uh, yes. of Wind Talkers fame. Yes. It's directed by John Woo in Hollywood and is not face-off, thus it's bad. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, Has anyone mentioned that Dr. Luca Kovac from ER is in this movie? (laughs) Yes. My notes notes just refer to him as handsome ER guy. Yeah, he's he's the ER guy. I can't pronounce his his real name, Goran something. Goran Vishnik. Did you say Goro? One more time, Goro from Mortal Kombat? Goran Vishnik. Goran I, I, I believe that's how it's said. 
Uh, okay, I'm, I'm either going to go with Goro or Goron, like the rock creatures from Zelda. <laughs> All right. Yes. Okay. Okay. So, but but here's again talk talk about contributing to the made for TV feel of this. So it is starring a contemporary TV star who's got a couple films under her belt. But at this point, she, she is alias actress. That that's her thing. And then the male lead is an actor from ER that is not George Clooney. Yeah, this is like the third or fourth generation or, uh, ER heartthrob. Pre Stamos. Is he the main? Is he the lead though? Is he the male lead because he's not in it enough? He also doesn't I, do any. Yeah, like I, I think at this point his in name ER, he probably is just because who else is in ER? No, no, the male lead in this film. Oh. <laughs> no, do yeah, whatever about ER. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah, was, was he doing like Noah? Like, what was what was his relationship between Noah Wiley and Anthony Edwards on that show? How important exactly. was would Noah Wiley have been upset if he was on the operating table? Could he have operated? So, you know, that's a fair point. I mean, he he does not do anything He's in this film, and, and, and I, I mean, I mean that quite literally. If, if he does tell his daughter the importance of lying. <laughs> he does it's teach true. her that. But the, the the film, if if the story that the film is structuring is largely about the relationship between Electra and Abby, Mark doesn't add anything to that. No, no he kisses her okay, a couple of times. He does add, so it's kind of was, complicated. This is the one thing I knew about Electra before I even saw Daredevil was that she was always explained to me as like Marvel's answer to Huntress. Um, in that they both have really severe daddy yeah. issues. <laughs> they have daddy the Huntress? No, yeah, no not, not the Huntress, no. In the very beginning of Electra Assassin by Frank Miller that I read today, like, she's very clearly been sexually abused as a child, like, by her father and her father's friends, like, through her father. So, uh, th- there's uh, a reason that she is named Electra. Um, oh, like the tragedy? Yes, exactly. Uh, and in the beginning of uh, Electra Assassin, uh, she says that uh, her father read her the story of uh, Electra, and she refers to her parents in that comic as uh, Clytemnestra and Agamemnon. All right. Well, damn. Again, something that, that does not, does not, not come through. No, 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 not at all relevant. Do they even use her last name in this film? Do no, they it's, ever no call it's never mentioned. There is an N on the gates of the manor. There's an N on the manor that oh, implies okay. it's the yes. Nachios. Gotcha. But that's it. Yes. Unlike, unlike in uh, in Daredevil where they like give her like a very bad spray on tan so that she looks slightly Greek, yeah. at this time <laughs> they've essentially forgotten that that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. And don't forget her awesome contacts. Those are, those are amazing as well. God. Yes. And her like frosted hair. Oh god, the hair, the hair. It's always always got to talk about the hair. The frosted tips. Frost them tips. Yes. And the only people uh, who made out well in this film were Electra and Typhoid. Hey. hey. Uh, <laughs> because the two kisses between uh, her and the guy were really un- uh they had no chemistry. Yes. Well, yeah, I, when she I, says I, I, she's supposed to say I hated that like it's sarcastic and I'm like, but I think yeah. you did. Like I'm, yeah. I'm concerned I, I, about I, consent here. I, I, no, well, then, and then uh, he says the same thing to her later. Like I, I took that as being the moment where they both realized, like, yeah, this isn't, this isn't going to work. This yeah. work. Not, not feeling I, it. Sorry. I literally yawned during their first kiss. It literally, <laughs> that literally happened. <laughs> it was like I don't care. You're trying to tell me that these people have chemistry. They don't. 
No. <laughs> He's just had to be our guy. Who, who was filming the show during his, his off-season. <laughs> this was entirely yeah. filmed in the off-season. It was off-season yeah. for Alias. It was off-season for ER. It was off-season for whatever TV show anybody else on this thing was on a TV show was on. So you've got him. You've got Jennifer Garner. You've got Terrence Stamp, who we all remember from his, his role as Chancellor Valorum in Star uh, Star Wars <laughs> Episode One, The Phantom oh, Menace. Of course. Um, I was going to go with Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. That's, a, that's yeah. something people he have to remember. He Valorum in that as well? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It was a pre... Oh, chance yes, for Valorum, everyone, Queen of the Desert. Everyone knows that Priscilla, Queen of the Desert is a prequel to the prequels. Oh! <laughs> um, Wasn't it made first? So the, Why isn't Guy Pearce uh, in the Star Wars movie? Uh, don't, don't, don't get me started on Guy Pearce right now. I, I, can't, I can't do that right now. Um, no, the... Uh, we'll but, so, yeah, Terrence Stamp at this point, I, I love him, and you bring him in to, to be your, your gravitas guy, but he's clearly working for sandwiches on this film. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he, just, he just comes in every so often, repelling in from the forest to save everybody. Yeah. And you know, he's uh. technically blind in the movie, but he plays it by just kind of looking an inch off from people. Yeah, I didn't know he was blind until almost the end of the film. Uh, actually, no, I didn't know he was blind until I read that on Wikipedia at almost uh-huh. the end of the film. And then I saw, his, then I realized that one character had referred to him as blind. They could have at least given him creepy contacts. And and then you've got. Uh, the, the guy the, who, whose house they go to? McCabe, the yeah, who, who is a TV actor. Okay. Uh, what, what is he on now? Uh, Falling Skies. McCabe. McCabe. Oh, okay. McCabe! Right. Apparently um, he no. has no comic equivalent and, from what I learned. Is that nope. right? No, he's the Joan Cusack. It just occurred to me, the, the father and daughter are Miller. Could this be a McCabe and Mrs. Miller reference? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. That is a dated-ass okay. reference, son. That is what what uh, is that a reference to? It's a it's an Altman uh, western from nineteen seventy something. Oh, dated oh, okay. ass reference is what it is. <laughs> but McCabe's an odd name, and they're the Millers, and I don't know. <laughs> I, I assume that he was named after say, I Frank do Miller. Want the movie with the agents of assassins. Like I want to see those negotiations. I think they'd be really interesting. Yeah, go watch Gross Point Blank. <laughs> there you go. No, the the um, you, you've got them, and then you've got the the incredibly light villain side of the equation, which includes yes. uh, the the guy from Die Another from a couple scenes of Die Another Day, which has Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat, who they mm-hmm. clearly had for a day. He is he appears on one set, does nothing, and has one costume change. Yes, and then the uh, the henchman, the uh, henchman. I, I would like to to put forward that McCabe probably has the most development in the film, in that he does a 180 about these total strangers within a sp- less than 10 minutes. He is he is upset that they are at his house, and then he sacrifices himself for them for no reason. Yeah, he almost he instantly. Just followed them down. He didn't slow them down at all. No. no. In fact, he probably would have helped them more if he had just hung out in the entrance to the tunnel, which was hidden. And also a narrow passage through which enemies would be funneled to him. Yes. Yeah. And could not Particularly get... as they apparently have psychic ninja powers. Mm-hmm. Just run with them. That's the only reason they knew where the tunnel was. Is that a copy of Dune behind you? Sorry, go on. Ignore me. <laughs> Ignore me! Yes. Yes, it is. Let, let's talk about, uh, about these henchmen, though. So we've got Stone... Who is played yes. by MMA fighter Bob Sapp? 
who, not surprising. All right, he looks intimidating. He's indestructible. He gets killed by a tree. <laughs> yes, I am. Right gross. after he he destroys part of that tree with a wooden stick, indicating to me that wood beats tree, but tree beats stone. Yeah, he should he should have died. Oh yeah, because uh, paper is made out of trees. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. So, yeah, the side doesn't. Uh, he gets shot at some point. Doesn't do anything. He gets stabbed with the side. Doesn't do anything. <laughs> Does she have Dude, more than the two sides? Because she breaks one, and then later she just has both of them again. Maybe she must have. Yeah. She must have okay. backups. Though to be fair, to be fair, it's a big fucking tree. That tree probably weighs like eight tons or something. It's okay. a lot of fucking tree. The tree yeah, would have he, killed he any person. Completely but... fells it with a wooden stick that he throws. Well, even more but than that. But it's a giant wooden stick. The tree would have killed a normal person, but so would being shot or stabbed. Like we're, we're given no reason to believe that a tree would be particularly deadly yes. against him. We should we should mention, like everybody in this movie, at least all the bad guys, when he's hit by the tree, he in- inexplicably all the villains blow up like they're the Hulk dogs from Hulk mm-hmm. in like a green cloud of smoke, and it's mm-hmm. never explained why. Like a green cloud of ghost smoke, <laughs> exactly. Because yes, they're all ghosts. Mm-hmm. And the first one who does it is the guy who gets st- who Electra stabs from underneath with the sigh on the roof, and then there's that long shot, the distance shot of him exploding on the roof. Like and you're like, what the hell just happened? Blowing up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then all those ninjas blow up, and mm-hmm. they just continue to do this the entire movie for no reason. Yeah, I mean, I could buy it with the uh, the specific named members of the group uh, because they have mystical powers that are established. Clearly but just the black robed ninjas, it didn't seem to be any reason for them to do it. So they're evil. They're members of the hand. There's yeah. Stone. There's Kinko. I can't remember anything about Kinko or what his my power re- is. My reaction when he showed up in that fight where he gets killed was, "There's a fifth bad guy." Yeah, because I had forgotten that. Because well, they had done a reasonably good job of sort of establishing that there's a there's a stupid guy with tattoo powers, and there's a stupid stupid girl with like poison kiss powers, and there's mm-hmm. this big guy you can't shoot, and there's mm-hmm. the main guy. And then somebody mentions, go get Kenko, or Kinko, or whatever his name is, uh, and he suddenly shows up out of nowhere and is killed by bees. Go get Kinko, we need copies. <laughs> yes. Um, Laura, I, 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 I think I gave you the Kinko title. Do you remember anything about what Kinko's power is, or anything about him? Oh, I have no idea. I'm Typhoid, man. No, oh, yeah, you're I'm, typhoid. I'm Kinko. Was, and I was who like, was Kinko? I was like, Lillian do you mean was Kinko. the main guy? Or who do you mean? Like, what's happening right no. now? No. <laughs> no one knows no. who Kinko is. No. The, 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 Asian member, the, the other the Asian member of that bad guy team who is very quickly dispatched by Abby when it turns out that Abby has magic bead powers. Yeah. At, at some point, we see a melting spider. Was that one of the tattoos? Yeah. I, I was assume yes, that was a tattoo. Was okay. All right. They were very heavy on tattoo and, like... Yeah, t- Tattoo yeah. and Typhoid I'm were so- clearly, like, there, there, there was the big guy, and then there was Tier 2, which was Tattoo and Typhoid, and then there was Tier 3, which was Stone and, uh, and Kinko. And Kinko was Tier 6. Typhoid isn't tied to Typhoid Mary, right, in Marvel? The Ostensibly, the she is supposed she is supposed to be a call to that, but it's not. It's not. Yeah. yeah. They, they borrowed a name. Okay. Yeah. 
Because I think, uh, yeah, I think Katsu also is similarly. And they were yeah. like, what do we do about this guys, poison ivy guys, lady? Guys, we, we, we got like, we got five minutes till the scripts do. What do we call her? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she, she, she can blow kisses and kill people. Like Typhoon Mary, of course. Yeah. I, 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 looked, I looked up Kinko's powers here for you guys. Oh, thank you. Okay. And he has no visible powers. Goddammit! <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Is that really yes, what it says? it says? He is quite skilled in martial arts. Is it? Is it Stefan, is he this what nothing. you think of me? I'm getting like he's I'm, literally mm. he's in two scenes. He like in their dramatic. Let's all walk into the Japanese evil boardroom. He's there, you know, walking weird, and then he shows up to very quickly be dispatched by Abby. I'm sorry, Lillian. <laughs> you should be. Yeah. The um. Oh, good lord. Particularly as nobody's tattoo, I don't think. No, do no, just tattoo. tattoo. Here comes the plane, boss! I'm Stone. You're, I don't know who you are. You're the it doesn't matter. This is the most we've referred to our our given uh, <laughs> podcast names in any episode of the podcast. Hey! This is because I'm upset. I feel offended <laughs> uh, by the, the bad writing happening for my character that I'm now attached to for some reason. Yeah. Well... I am more attached either. I'm almost certain he doesn't say anything. Let's be clear that I am more attached to this character because not because of any, you know, work from Zach Penn or his collaborators, but because Stefan made me now responsible for him in my head. <laughs> that is yep. what it takes to <laughs> Congratulations. make Congratulations. You bastard, Stefan. If it's any consolation, there was a podcast we did where I gave myself the character name of Heat Seeking Dennis. <laughs> So, if we're talking about inconsequential characters, wasn't I Stilt Man? You were Stilt Man at one point. I don't even remember. I don't even remember which movie Heat Seeking Dennis is. First Blade. <laughs> oh God. Uh, so there were four different tattoos that we saw, right? The mystical, the mystical Falcon, the Ghost Wolf, the Spider, and then the and Infinite the Snakes. snakes. There were the snakes. Infinite Snakes. Yes. And okay. both the bird, both the hawk or eagle or whatever it is and the spider mm-hmm. seemed reasonably naturalistic, you know, just doing mm-hmm. what the, what those animals did. But the yeah. ghost and the and the infinite sp- um, snakes, snakes for some reason were like laser guided ghost missiles. Yeah. Mhm. You're you're watching it and you're like, "Eh, it's not how wolves work." <laughs> I assumed yeah. that those powers were incorporated into the tattoo, like the the wolf, you just saw its head and then a bunch of mist around it. Oh, so yeah. of course it's going to be just a, go- a a wolf's head with a bunch of mist behind it. And then the snakes was probably like a snake. Uh, that's all it is. I mean, he he is arguably the only visually interesting character in the film. Yes, and but then, also but also really really stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's not pretend like he is he is an integral contributor. Yes. He just sits around meditating while he generates infinite snakes. His, his death is he has sent out a lot of snakes, and then Electra walks slowly up to him directly in front of him and breaks his neck. Well, he's a warg, okay? His consciousness is out in the snakes, so he can't pay attention to both his own body and the snakes at the same time. Then maybe he should have not been in the middle of the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, no, he was how outside far of the hedge maze. She has here. to leave the hedge maze to do it. Uh, uh. Maybe that's what yeah, Kinko was supposed to do. All their friends yeah. are dead, you <laughs> jerk. They're <laughs> all dead. Uh, oh God! I have a I have an important question. Uh, if right. you're rich and you have a well on your property that you presumably need to get water out of, why would you put it at the center of a hedge maze? 
I'm almost certain that the Nachos family, or whatever their name nachos. is. Nachos. You can <laughs> call them the Nacho family. Yeah, the Nachos. <laughs> I'm almost certain the Nachos family is not actually getting water from that well. It's a ceremonial well. I'm pretty sure well. that's a decorative well. Well, that, that is explain why there is no water well. in it. And it seems to be bottomless uh, once they, they throw... Doesn't she throw the bad guy into it at the end, or does she get yeah. thrown into it? She throws yeah, him she into throws it, but he explodes really quick. He's yeah. like, then he explodes and he never the hits swords to grind down, and he explodes in green smoke for reasons yeah. that all the bad guys explode into green smoke, yes. because that's what this movie does. Uh, the, the big bad guy's uh, dad, wasn't he supposed to be, like, the big bad guy? That's I was I expecting her... I thought that she was going to then go and fight him because he was the one who sent everyone after her. Because he's played no. by a semi-recognizable character actor. Yeah, yeah, that would that <laughs> would make sense. They only paid him for one day of, uh, of filming. They, they can't they can't afford that. Okay. All right, on uh, to to themes. Yeah. So so yes. uh, as we said earlier, th- there's uh, the motherhood issue. Who who wants to to kick off talking about the motherhood issue? <laughs> All right. Well. I, 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 can jump, I can jump in there. Okay. Um, yeah. So my biggest issue in terms of uh, female superheroes or female warriors is the fact that it's only okay for women to be badass if they're doing it in the name of a child. Um, okay. And the fact that Electra here is earning her redemption through protecting Abby and becoming a mother figure to Abby and redeeming herself in that way I think is inherently problematic and places a woman's value um, on her position as a mother or a surrogate mother figure. Was she a mother figure, or was she like a big sister figure? I think that they're trying to position her as a mother figure. Whether or not they succeeded, I think, is a script script (laughs) fault. This this big sister versus mother distinction is something that a lot of guys say to me a bunch, and I I don't entirely get it sometimes, just because it's it's the same... Like you have sisterhood with your mother, and I think the the, the protective instinct is is a maternal instinct, even if you're siblings. But also, not to be passive aggressive. Okay. <laughs> but also, also the movie is trying to tell us that handsome ER guy and her have like sexual That's chemistry true. together. They're clearly you... trying to position her to be stepmommy. They just fail. That was stepmom dash y like stepmom esque, not stepmommy. L- Lillian, are you asking what the difference is between the relationship to a mom and a big sister? Well, no, because I think I think the thing for from a narrative perspective, um, mm-hmm. what like from from just like a fairy tale perspective, even the mm-hmm. idea of like if if a, if a woman is being protective towards another woman and she's and she's causing um she's creating unconditional support for that other woman it's going like from a uh from like a freudian standpoint i would say you always Mm -hmm. get that maternal vibe even if it's a sibling because it's partially about that idea of unconditional protection okay um and and because at least sisterhood to me like that's a generation gap (laughs) Mm -hmm. issue Mm -hmm. rather than Rather than like the the emotional ties to me are are just there's more there's more wheat to work with there's <laughs> there's more there's more material to work with when you're working with a maternal connection either way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it depends on uh, the position of the like the the plot details around the younger female figure that you're working with because 
I would picture a sister as being more of a teammate and a mother as being more of an instructor and protector. And I, I thought that one of the things that came through as we got toward the terrible ghost-filled finale <laughs> is the, the idea of them starting to work together. Yeah. Well, I think as long as we're talking about sort of gender issues, it's also the, I mean, the mcguffin sort of prophecy... The treasure! Here. Yes. The treasure, where <laughs> apparently all three of the women in this film have at one point been the treasure. Yeah. So, apparently whenever any woman has, you know, ninja powers... Everyone loses their goddamn shit yeah. uh, about trying yeah. to get the treasure. So Typhoid used to be the treasure, and she's goddamn mm -hmm. pissed at Abby for now being the treasure. And apparently mm -hmm. Electra used to be the treasure. Uh, so I guess there's a new chosen one every, like, three years? Yeah. yeah. Oh, gosh, shit, guys, there's another treasure. To, this takes us back to daddy issues, though, too, because it's... Partially that idea of like you, these these very male um, martial arts communities, <laughs> like they are the only girl there, right? So mm -hmm. it's yeah. these like old old dudes talking about how powerful this girl is, and it sort of it goes into that like Buffy trope of yep. fetishizing female power, but also insisting on controlling it. And one of the ideas that I think is actually interesting in the movie is that idea of Abby being like, "I don't want to stay here. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be part of this." So what? that moment of Electra being like, I'm going to go after these guys, I don't think is because like I'm going to get involved in Styx War. It's an idea of she deserves the right to choose who she is and what she does with the power that she has. I wanted that movie. Give me that movie, please. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, I, I, I want that movie, that movie. I, I, that I movie think that's, was not I think given that's to a, us. I think that's a fair reading of the material that theoretically would be there. I think the problem is the film completely fails to execute on that yes, intention. Yes, but there is a line, and I can fan-wank about it all I want, goddammit. <laughs> so, but, so, so what I, I, would, I would ask is, if, if we're talking about... I mean, there, there are motherhood issues in the film. There are, there are also daddy issues in the film, and, and you get these flashbacks to young Electra mm -hmm. and the relationship that she has with the mother that she lost and then the father that for all intents and purposes, is a completely different character than we see in Daredevil. Um, yes. Her mother, who was killed by a demon. But yes. no, he's secretly a ninja. No, he's secretly that ninja. <laughs> no, he's secretly a ghost. Everybody's um, a ghost. The only scene that the father is in is the scene where she is treading water in the pool as a young girl, mm -hmm. and he says something to her... I forget the exact phrasing. It's something along the lines of, like, you have to be strong. Push. She, push, push, he push. Says, yeah. He says push several times yeah, yeah. because I made a joke at the time about her giving birth. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then it comes back at the end of the film when she's in the final fight. Th those are the uh, trust the force, Luke, yeah. words that come back to her at the end. Although it is not clear whether he is actually her father or just a very hard-driving swim coach. Uh, and, but the way that his mo her mom talks to that guy, yeah. it could still be uh, a swim coach that could be you know, either, she's yeah. having an affair with. Or it, it's, it's not clear. <laughs> I'm, I want to see Deuce's certain... version of this movie. Can I get that? Ghost, <laughs> illicit swim coach affairs. Everyone and it's a prequel. Ghost. It's a prequel. <laughs> So, so yes. why, why then, if we see him in a sympathetic light in Daredevil, and then assuming it is him and not you know Lugash the imported swim coach? God, I, I think we've all decided that that is our personal canon for this. That yes. was a swim coach, and they're all ghosts. But assuming, assuming that he was a beloved figure in the first film, and then a harsh taskmaster in this film, 
and that's so mastered. and so much of like one of my favorites. So much of the arc that Electra goes through, being founded in motherhood, and being founded in the the experience of finding her mother dead, and all of that. Why is it the father's words that come back to drive her to victory at the end of the film? It's possible that the writer just has very severe unaddressed daddy issues. <laughs> He's probably also scared of uh, the pool. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, that's maybe he possible. Can swim. Um, uh, I would argue that instead of a first draft, this feels like several first drafts blended together. It honestly feels like they were trying to do several different plots, and they they just didn't spend the time to work them out. Because I really don't feel like this is much of a climax. It, it seemed like there were other things that they had set up that they wanted to get to in the climax. And then they just gave up, and they're like, "Ah, eh, ninety minutes is good." Yeah, it's a yes. fun, guys. To be fair, I did not particularly want more of this movie, so I'm oh, not, I didn't. I'm not I didn't really either. But the movie seems to <laughs> petering out. Uh, Lillian, what, what's what's your your take on this? The, this idea of it being the the father's voice that comes back in is it is it just lazy writing? Is it internally inconsistent? <laughs> what's going on here? Um. Well, because I th- I think the interesting thing is the the reason I I said that it sounded like there were several voices sort of talking at once or getting sidetracked trying to rec- you know rectify the various versions of Electra from the comics, um, like you were sitting in the comic shop is that I I I, I daddy issues can be very lazy writing, but they can also especially if they're mined in a really empathetic way, I think. It can be done in a really, really interesting, uh, interesting narrative. The problem is that wrap that up with Abby's stuff, where yeah. it seems more like if the plotline with Abby and the plotline with Mark, at least to me, seemed like it was partially about that notion of like what a broken family is and a fam- like because Electra also lost her mom. Electra's Electra's mom was yeah. murdered the same way that Abby's mom was murdered. So, to have Electra kissing Mark goes directly into the Electra complex. Um, <laughs> kind of verbatim from a Freudian standpoint. Um, so, and I think there is something kind of problematic about knowing the legacy of what Frank Miller, and I don't know whether, would, 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 what I know is that Frank Miller, in some ways, created the the authoritative version of Electra, at least because her death is a very important part of her mythology. But I mean, is created it, Electra, period. Yeah, yeah okay, he created so, the so, character so in his Daredevil. Considering that that the sexual abuse is then canon, um, which I did not know, um, because I've only read the new book, which is really amazing. Ploy, I think it's about to get canceled, but it's a really good book. Um, if Hawkeye got canceled, anything can get canceled. Oh, X Factor, X Factor got canceled. Um, but my, my problem is in knowing knowing that the abuse is canon, knowing that her father is within comics canon, a sexually abusive figure. To have his admittedly slightly emotional, emotionally, definitely emotionally, verging on physical abuse of her in that... Because they imply that she's been in there for, like, three hours, don't they? Like, the mother's yeah. like, it's been a really long time, you need to get out of there. And the fact that that... It almost implies that the abuse is what made her capable 
of saving this other girl. But the, if if we want to go like full full bore here, the the way that I kind of contextualize it is the arc that they want us to believe is happening during the film, and whether or not this actually comes through in the film is an, an entirely different matter. Is Electra has hardened herself into this ruthless killer, but Terrence Stamp really believes that she's got a good heart below it all. And the dichotomy of the character is, you know, is she this good person or is she this killer? And at the end of the film, she has to draw on her experience with her father to kill the guy. But then she has to take the dead girl to her mother's bed to bring her back to life. Although that didn't, it didn't seem to be her mother's bed because the window was on the wrong side of the room. That could have just uh, been a bad <laughs> shot. Or they had just flipped the, yeah, they might have flipped the 180, or, you know, yeah. flipped the film. That was one of my thoughts, too. It was like, it's very, very clean and yeah. full of furniture. Well, Why everything was covered in sheets. Why is place so full? <sighs> there were sheets over everything to protect from dust. But then they used them all to the fight itself. from ghosts. Exactly, yeah. That place is dusty as hell now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the wind guy blew all the dust out of the windows. Do you think that the force that was pulling up those sheets was the same one that was dropping sandbags in, Ele- in Daredevil? <laughs> <laughs> it is ghosts! It's all ghosts! Yeah! It's always been ghosts! Oh my god! We have we have blown the doors off of the Daredevil franchise yeah. tonight. Um, well, it's clearly that assassin that has the sheet power, because the same sheet effect is done over her mother's corpse. That's a very Um, esoteric power. Well, yes, this is true. I don't think this movie has a male lead. I I don't think there's a dude on screen long enough for there to be a male lead, and that is awesome! (laughs) Like, I am a huge fan of that. I think that that's really common. But you, you almost wish that if that's the route they're going to go... Just don't have ER doctor yeah, in the make film. Him, make at him all. go away because yeah, then you don't have to think about that idea of, you know, you don't get into those icky ideas that I just God, thought yeah, through and nothing. brought up and I'm now still sort of processing and getting semi traumatized by because I really hope they didn't mean that. Yes. Um, yeah, because I don't think it's intentional. I think they intend for him to be the male lead, they just didn't do a very good job of it. And yeah. the fact that we're referring to him only as ER doctor speaks volumes about the achievements of his other work, and perhaps explains why he is a virtual cipher in this film. And also why we're not calling him by his name. Not that we necessarily call a lot of people by his name, but... We're calling Terrence Stamp, Terrence Stamp. <laughs> yeah. But he's, he's such a cipher, he's just... He's her dad. That's about the only thing, and, like, they have a couple of awkward kisses, and that is literally the extent of any impact he has on that movie. To be fair, none of the characters are particularly developed. Uh... I mean, Electra. Forty-five minutes into the movie, Electra has had no development whatsoever. Uh, you you learn things about her, but you 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 have no sense of like her actual desire. She's just yes. doing things. Well, and I think that's it's it's a credit to Jennifer Garner that even as she's limping along, that scene of her um, cleaning is actually I God, that I, was a weird scene. I wanted that I wanted the McCabe and Electra like I I wanted the TV show of that in keeping with that notion of it being TV is that their dynamic and his sort of you know he calls her E and 
he you know he tells he tries to be very real with her about like they're just gonna send more guys like if you don't do it <laughs> but yeah. in some ways he, you, you, you know are we verging what what is his relationship to her is he a father figure what what is his sort of custodial capacity with her as her quote unquote agent yeah, because he, he does really sacrifice his from? life for her yeah. without discussing he's her it. psychopop because she's a ghost <laughs> <laughs> solution nice good word because he's a ghost yeah i I mean seriously like like, look at her powers at the beginning of the film uh they wait you're you're really making the case now go i mean go the the kimagora power uh of that uh allows someone to move backward and forward in time Mm. she's constantly reviewing different parts of her life as one probably would do if there is an afterlife you know upon death on trying to work out the kinks of whatever it is that they they uh left unresolved emotional traumas and whatnot uh and she can transcend space like in the very beginning the the first person that she kills she whispers in his ear and then is immediately 30 or 40 feet behind him and throws the sigh uh into his back uh and then uh multiple times within even the first act you see her like when uh she first meets the little girl uh, Abby, she, Abby turns around, and as she turns around, Electra is already in front of her again. Uh, she's, she's literally phasing. It, increasingly, I am completely on board with this interpretation, and Terrence Stamp then is God. <laughs> mm-hmm. and no, he's just another ghost. Everyone's a ghost. Get it for your goddamn head, Seven. Literally, everyone in this movie is a ghost. It's that simple. This, no, it's like that the, simple. The, the end of the film when she leaves those gates, she's like she's walk, walking, she's moving on, and Terrence Stamp is uh, is God, like blessing her because, yes. uh, as as the saying goes, God is blind. <laughs> he is also stick, yes. which a, a, a single stick is the number one or. Uh, the phallic object representing presence rather than absence yep. defined by the yonic shape. Yep. If you fold a dollar <laughs> bill what? in a certain way, you will see Terrence Stamp's face on top of the pyramid. Uh, I want to... Alright, before we go too far down this insane... Oh, I think we've gone. I want to I go back to an earlier point. I believe Dude made it. that There essentially is no development for Electra in the first uh, 45 minutes. I was thinking about this. You mean so, half of the movie. Yeah, like at least I just chose really forty five minutes at random. Um, so <laughs> I would say it doesn't happen. We have the scene. We have the scene where she like puts together the compound bow and seems to possibly consider killing these people, and then decides not to. But there's not. We have been given no indication that under other circumstances she might have killed these people. Which goes back to the problem of the first scene being she's killing a dude who is straight up objectively evil. He's a member mm-hmm. of the hand. Like yeah. if the fir- if the first one had been like of like stone cold Electra like murdering everybody in that house including his family because mm-hmm. she doesn't like give a shit and is doing it for the money, but then she has starts having moral qualms. It would still be lazy, but at least there would be sort of a reason for it. Or additionally, she kills him and then his daughter walks in and sees her in the act of and that's doing. What ha- that's what happens and in the she- comic book. That's what happens in Kill Bill, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> say that. Yeah. I was gonna say, yeah. In Bruges does this very, very well. Just steal from In Bruges uh, and just bring Colin Farrell With Farrelly. Nick Bester's favorite actor. Yeah, in fucking Bruges. Damn you, Colin Farrell! Stop reminding me so, of him! So, uh, Laura, you, you mentioned this is what happens in the comics. Is this scene in the comics? Um, this is partially based on Greg Ruka's um, Electra Wolverine, The Redeemer. Um, okay. So, there's a whole story in there about 
this uh, guy named Daniel and his daughter Avery, and she kills uh, Daniel, uh, assassinates him, and Avery witnesses it, and it turns into this whole mentorship thing, um, and that's where this whole idea with Abby came from. So in the comic book, um, yeah, she totally offs Daniel, and Avery sees it, um, but then Electra can't decide whether or not to kill her, so she kidnaps her and is basically like, I might kill you, I might not, let's wait and see. So in our that in our that would have been such a better movie. Yeah, in our idealized version of the film, the person she kills in that first scene then is Mark mm-hmm. Miller, and she takes yes. his daughter. Yeah, and not we to don't be confused even, with yeah. Mark Millar. <laughs> oh yeah. God, I wish she I wish I she was killing Mark that. Millar. I wish she was killing Mark Millar. Yes. No, we don't. Nope. He blows goats. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, I just caught that. Thank you. Thank you. I missed what he said. Okay, so point point blank, uh, we're gonna go. Lillian, Dooge, Laura, we'll, we'll run down the line. Take this film. It's Jennifer Garner, exact same cast, exact same plot, but her name is not Electra. Her name is Jill. Is it? Is it still a really terrible film, or is it just a generic film that we would forget? How do we feel about this if this exact film is not Electra? Is she still a ghost? <laughs> anyway. No, but I, I mean, seriously, like, do we have the backstory that she died previously and has come yeah, back? Yeah, e- yeah exa- exactly, exactly the same. The same. Thing, except yeah. ev- every time the word Electra is mentioned, it's dubbed out for another name. Jill, cool, like the tragedy. I, I think the source material does help, actually. And I think, like, like Laura made okay. a really good point that we sort of, um, that I that I worry got a little lost, which is that idea that, like, her, Electra's development, Electra's, you know, moral, you know, search for the moral high ground is motivated by her mentoring this other, this other child um, and taking on a, and taking on basically a parenting role. But and again, I don't. That doesn't seem like it's actually tied to the source material. Like the, what? It almost seems like they leaned very hard on the source material, and they assumed like you'd know that these horrible things happened to her, so you already feel bad for her because she she got bullseyed. Um, and so they think that they have a bunch of goodwill going into the movie that they don't have, so they don't develop. And so they start to just try and pull on sort of that primitive instinct of like, oh, look, she's learning how to care for this girl and she's learning how to empathize again. Um, Like, literally, the reason I like that cleaning scene is that she's physically, like, mopping up traces of her from from a place that she has lived. (laughs) She's afraid to make an Gotta get my DNA. Um, so, so if we if we think about that, uh, so you've got the backstory in the comics with the the sexual abuse angle. It's you probably you, you would have trouble doing that in a PG thirteen film in a way that is not incredibly oblique. But you you could texture it in there. What baffles me is that the studio that owned the first film did not include footage of her getting stabbed in the first film. Isn't there a little bit of flashback, or is that like fake flashback that they just filmed in that? Comic? There's fake flashback of her in an ambulance. Okay, but in like her old costume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're ghosts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we're all on board with the ghost idea. Totally. I, I, I buy it 100%. I think one of the scary things that sort of that Laura hit on the head was that idea that when we tell 
stories about about powerful women we tend to be very bad about divorcing like is it better to divorce the womanhood from it completely like if if daredevil <laughs> let's switch it up say say jennifer garner plays daredevil and ben affleck plays okay. electra how does the <laughs> <laughs> how does the imagine, imagine that every night before i go to bed <laughs> so, 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 so you're, you're you're saying just like f- flip those actors, but same same, same plot, structure, same, same everything. Actor. How does the movie change, and how does it? Because I think part of it has to do with the um, the assumption of the white um, cisgendered heterosexual male as neutral, and everything else you ha- you end up having to acknowledge difference because di- because difference is the first thing we see. If that make does that make any sense at all? Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of, uh, sort of intersectional theory about this, about, about the idea that when, when you say, uh, when you, when you tell a fairy tale and you say, um, there once was a boy named Jack, (laughs) you tend to picture, um, in general, a white, possibly light haired, blue eyed person. If you live in America, mm-hmm. even if you're not a white-haired, blue, uh, white-haired, <laughs> a white-skinned, blue-eyed person yourself, um, because that is the societal neutral. That is that is who, when advertising wants to create a generic person that can enjoy the product, they tend to use white people and they tend to use men. If the unless the like if they want general audience, they use men. <laughs> Um, if they want to sell yogurt or show women eating salad, they show women eating salad. I, I, I was going to say hmm. they, they they use light skinned African American women. <laughs> um, if you're if you're asking the idea of whether or not you could flip those roles and the film would still work functionally, I think it would. Mm-hmm. I think you would read very different things into it as a viewer. I think it would be a significantly more interesting film <laughs> because asking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, asking whether a film still works implies that it works to begin with. Fair enough. Well, no, well, the, I, I think we, I thought we, I thought we established it... fairly, I thought we established fairly definitively the director's cut worked. Okay, yes, that's true. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, and I'm not asking if it works. I'm asking what it does to the story because I think that's the thing mm-hmm. about any, especially any Marvel superheroes in particular, is that you know they don't have a female superhero yet. And I'm I'm so looking forward to our <laughs> yes, um, oh, yeah. and it and it begs the question of when you look at the the bench that you're looking at of female Marvel superheroes, how much does it, it's that '80s problem of like shoulder pads? The, part of the reason people thought shoulder pads pads were very big in the '80s for women was that idea of creating a male. Um, a male uh, silhouette. <laughs> it, it's the illusion of, of blending into male society by erasing your quote-unquote femininity. And I'm being very gender essentialist about this, and I apologize in advance about that. Well, in retrospect about that. That's on point. <laughs> um, but that's my question, is like, if, if, if female Daredevil, if Jennifer Garner plays Daredevil, and she's dealing, you know, and she's watching her dad die, and she does adorable... You know, blind flirting with with 
supposedly Greek Ben Affleck. What do we He's think so Greek. About, what do we think about her as a character, and how is that different from what we think about Ben Affleck playing that role? Um, it would. And is it better to think it, of it would? And is and is it better to think of her? Is there a way to divorce her gender from it, and is that better? And I don't know the answer. <laughs> um, I just think that's the reason that we fall into these mothering tropes a lot, is that we have issues divorcing gender um, from character conception in general, if that makes any sense. Because it's impossible; it's almost impossible to do in real life. So. <laughs> it would drastically change the fight on the playground when, when uh, if she were chasing him, she as a blind woman were chasing him, and then he started fighting a blind woman. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I, th- I think you, you would read the film very differently. And I, I'm not sure if... I mean, again, assuming every line of dialogue is the same. They're, they're not trying to draw out different things. I do think you would take different things away from it. Um, I would like to think it would be a better film, but... <laughs> Yeah. Um, the a point that we have neglected, and because we we have our our game to get to, I do want to get to that. But I, I definitely do want to hit this point, and and not to not to move on from the the gender issues because we will come back to those. But we need to talk about the border of the boardroom of Asian executives. Yes, <laughs> it has some serious Orientalist problems. Yes. Uh, yep. Bester, do you <laughs> want to start this? Uh, well, I mean, as, as you pointed out, when we started out this project, there were, um, we were watching, you know, stuff from the, uh, from, like, the mid and late 80s. There were a lot of really Orientalist problems, like the first Punisher movie, that bizarre goddamn diner scene in, uh, Howard the Duck. Howard, Howard the, the Duck. Duck. Oh, yeah, the Kamikaze Diner. Weird oh, kamikaze diner. Uh, yeah, and you have like Blade. The, the, There's a lot in Blade, Blade. too. Yeah, certainly Blade. Uh, but it's it's really died down a lot, and it's just you know, first of all, just the entire the entire sort of ninja magic storyline that they're creating here seems really weird and needlessly exotic. Like I feel like why why is Terrence Stamp a ninja master? Why, why 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 is why is the this weird mystical ghost fight between good and evil because they're all ghosts? Um, why does it need to be put in this sort of Asian wrapper? Um, I I guess a more immediate problem for me was just a practical one that I never felt like I had any idea what was going on with any of those Japanese board members. They're incredible. I didn't understand the role of the hand. In the, in the movie, I felt that none of it was explained well at all. Uh, it was just a lot of characters going places and then referencing other elements as if they had already been ex- explained. Now, admittedly, I did watch the first half hour of this movie last night before my girlfriend and I turned it off in disgust <laughs> and went to bed and then watched the, the last two-thirds of it today. Uh, so it is possible that I just had a disconnect and, and missed out on a lot of the exposition and was not tying it. No, the no you, you didn't. Okay. All right, you did not. <laughs> the extent the extent of exposition is the like the credit sequence, really bad animation. Like since time immemorial, there's been yeah. a fight between the forces of 
darkness and the for forces of light and the forces of darkness are the hand. I don't know. I think the biggest problem is that the villains have no motivation or inc and are incredibly poorly characterized. And They're the forces of darkness, Stefan. <laughs> what more motivation I, do they I would almost, though, I would almost have liked it better if this cabal of evil Asian ninjas were meeting in a forest or a temple instead of a boardroom. The boardroom oh, yeah, rubbed that actually me the wrong made, way. Yeah, there, it, it there is an anxiety easy, about the movie the, easier to digest about the economic yeah. situation going on there. Yeah, the the, the, the boardroom you look, the boardroom the, the note I made was oh it feel, it's a Sony board meeting. Actually, and that uh, feels like they thought they were being oh we're updating it we're masking it it's okay. The uh, the boardroom does make it distinct from the compound that uh, she comes from, because if you had put it in any kind of outside environment, it probably would have been easily confused with the outside environment of the compound. Okay. Well, not if... Yeah. Not if you <laughs> not if you put nothing but black banners everywhere, because that way it would distinguish it from their compound, which is nothing but white, blank uh, white banners. Or white Perfect. ghosts. Ghosts. Yes. Ghost banners, black of ghosts. course! Everyone's a ghost! Well, I, I think my one... I, I would I would personally and again I don't I am speaking without the life experience to decide how how a person who is uh, who is a person of color would respond to this movie but I think the the main problem is that of all the people of color <laughs> in this movie they are literally all villains and all belong to the hand yes. <laughs> Pretty much. so like stone yes. <laughs> stone Maybe. is not I, Asian I, I choose I choose I choose not to see the world that way, and I believe that any person of color watching this film would have the same reaction anyone would, which is, this is a terrible <laughs> film. Why am I watching this film? That's a fair point. It, it is very... It is, you, you, you have our, our white heroes running around, and then you have the Asian people and Bob Sapp hunting them. Yes. Yeah. Particularly as they've even, they've even sort of given up on the conceit... That <laughs> she's the, Greek. That she's Greek, exactly. Because, I mean, she's, you know, kind of swarthy in the first movie. And now she's just, you know, fucking Lily White, uh, <laughs> Jennifer Garner. And and also, yeah. you have them fighting over over a literally very blonde, um, virginal yeah. teenage girl. <laughs> a sequence. A sequence of, of girls. Because there's, there's all the women in this have at one point been the treasure. Oh, it's yeah. just an endless, it's an endless sequence of, fuck, there's a woman with power. Get her! Is, yeah, is the... Here's, yeah, here's one potential possible... Things. One potential possible root of this. Name for me an Electra villain. The yeah, hand? They're all yeah, they're all daredevil villains. Stilt man. <laughs> well, lady, lady bullseye. I, I kind of know this. Lady answer. bullseye. Lady. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait, wait. There's a lady bullseye. Yes. Um. Dang it! You're you're obliquely stepping on my movie pitch. <laughs> Um, uh, no, it's played by Colleen Farrell, yeah. yeah. There is there is a Lady Bullseye. Um, Colleen Farrell. There's, I don't know if he's a new villain, but there's a really cool um, assassin character in the new Electra book who gets people's skills by killing and eating them. Oh, like Mega Man. Oh, Siler. Oh, Siler. Yeah, Siler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, or Kirby. Yeah, he's, I mean... <laughs> There are not iconic ones, but I think that's also just because Electra's not a household name either. 
So, like, yeah, I don't think I could get anybody to name a Wonder Woman villain. Um, uh, Cheetah. So, um, we're not the rep- so we are not the not representative really. American public. Uh, Giganta. Actually, I can't. I, yeah. I don't. Know I, I, but I, I just bought Wonder Woman Chronicles one. number one because <laughs> I know absolutely nothing about Wonder Woman except what I S&M. learned. From, like, S&M, one S&M is a lot of bondage. A lot of bondage. You know, if you took a little girl who had a Wonder Woman lunchbox and you and you know liked Wonder Woman and you said, "Can you name me a Wonder Woman villain?" I'm not sure she could, um, because. Sometimes these tol- these Cersei. cultural touchstones come out come out aside from their universes themselves, and I think and I think Diana yeah. is one of them. And poor mm-hmm. Electra didn't even get to doesn't get a lunchbox because she's psychopathic. Yeah. I wonder if there were lunchboxes. <laughs> uh, also, the guy that wa- the guy whose neck Wonder Woman broke, I can name him Maxwell Lord that exists. Max yeah, Lord, who was oh, I love Max Lord. Yeah. Well, I would have gone with Ares. I love Ares, but that's for the game. Or uh, Cersei. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot uh, of them. There's sure. people to work with, but I I guess that's my point Greek is like... Mythological figures? Is uh, most, Cheetah isn't. Most superheroes don't have rogues galleries. Uh, the, the way that the way that the big... The way that Bats and Superman and Spider-Man uh, do. Once you get past the second tier. Final thoughts on the film. Starting with Dooge, your final thoughts on Elektra. And this, this can be the final thought you ever have about Elektra. She's very rude. She hangs up on her, her agent twice while he's speaking. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Laura? Um, I'd still like thoughts? to know why she changed her outfit from the first movie into that red silk number, which is totally useless. Um, I think we never answered that question adequately. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's the uh, only question that I did not need to ask. Yeah. Because we all I knew mean, in our hearts fair, why, and it hurt us. To be fair, her first movie outfit was not... But at know, least it was leather, so oh. when she fell down, nope. it was, you know, prote- a little more protective. Semi-protective well, aside from... Well, like, every part of her body that, you know, wasn't her, wasn't her legs, wasn't her <laughs> legs, but... Yeah. Hey, but she's so wearing 40% pants, which is better body. than Wonder Woman. Yes. Uh, Lillian, final thoughts on the film? I I would just call back and say I feel really awful for everybody involved here, and I think it's I I think it's a sign wow. in some ways of the the way that the industry, especially at that time period when they were still trying to figure out how to monetize franchises in terms of superhero franchises. It's it's a cautionary tale. It's 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 about the fact that you might you have that cost benefit analysis and you think you know you can you can pull in some money, um, but the quality like don't you know do what Marvel does do do what Marvel does now and take the time and develop the product and don't you know don't coerce your actors into being in movies they don't want to be in. <laughs> like I I think the idea of Making sure that you have a environment where everybody is semi happy to be there is is not utopian. It's just you need to take the time to make a good product. The end. <laughs> Beautiful. Nick, final thoughts. Okay, uh, I was looking over my notes, and one thing I noticed is um, in the sort of opening scene, uh, right before she kills the guy, I made a note that was gratuitous ass shot one. <laughs> Because there's just a shot that's right on her butt. Me too. Uh, 
And I was pleasantly surprised that that counter did not actually really go up over the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. I kind of expected a lot more of, you know, her silky red butt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's got that going for it. And um, no male lead. And no male lead. Although, again, I do not think that is intentional. <laughs> I think they absolutely... The, the people making this movie absolutely told ER guy, he, you are going to be the male lead. Goran Vizicek, or whatever his name is. His name is Dr. Luka Kovac? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes, that guy. Yes, yeah. handsome ER guy. Handsome ER guy number four. Um, and, but yeah, no, it's, as I said at the beginning, it's just a boring fucking movie. Is, is there not any... even the worst movie, it's just, I'm so bored with it, and it's so paint by numbers, I've talked about the, uh, the villain's dialogue with his whole, it ends here, and we'll go where, where it all began, and that is where it will all end, and it's just, it's just awful. And why do they fucking explode? This is what I want to know more than anything else. Why do all the bad guys explode into green smoke? And also, none of the good guys at any point in this movie die, so we don't know how they explode. <laughs> Nick, It would yeah. be the same way, because no one is corporeal. Yes. They're all spiritual. Ghosts! Nick, they're all ghosts. It, it, it's, Electra, in conclusion, they're all ghosts. It sounds like this film really stressed you out. Can you think of anything that might have helped you relax throughout this it film? It did not. It did not stress me out. I was too bored to be stressed out. Fingers crossed that man thing will be great. I cannot. It speaks volumes about how bad this is that you're putting your eggs in the man thing basket. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm putting my eggs in all that baskets. Oh, my my final thought is that the scene that to me summed up every motivation, character beat and basic concept of human interaction in this film. There is a scene where after... I I can't even remember the context. Something has happened. Uh, Electra calls McCabe on the phone and gets his voicemail. And McCabe's voicemail is... I wrote this down. Hi, you've reached McCabe. Please leave just your name, not a message. And she immediately leaves a message and doesn't (laughs) say her name. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's because he's her fake dad. He's her not dad. It, it's like, also, he's an assassin agent. <laughs> I had assumed yeah, that Cusack. they were they were supposed to be love interests, but that, or but, you know that that he was attracted to her, and that that's why he was doing this were. favor yeah. for her. Uh, yes, but she was not attracted to him no. or whatever, so that's why he was willing to die. Um, so it's it's, yeah. not, it's does he die? I don't even yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets his head cut off by the bad guy. <laughs> I don't remember when he that. makes his needle assassin. after he, he reads his mind. I remember I remember I, reading it, the mind, and then I blanked out until uh, Typhoid starts killing the four. He, he awoke in a pool of his own drool and blood. <laughs> uh, it's because she's well. She has poison powers and blows yeah. a kiss at some guy. And She's box office poison as well. I would argue well. that the kiss between her and Jennifer Garner is sexier than the kisses than the two kisses between oh. Jennifer Garner and oh, the guy. Oh, so. much, much I, more. So. Not just because I, of the you know fetishized queerness, but just because generally she has more charisma than ER guy. <laughs> they don't say that he was on ER. More charisma than the man whose name none of us can remember, either his real name or his character uh, name. Uh, Mark. His character Mark. name is Mark, Mark Miller. Figure he's Mark up. Miller. Yes. All right. Uh, Fair enough. 
I'd also like to point out that the, there is one training montage in this film, and it is completely forgettable and boring, and that should never, ever, ever be the case. Yes. Yeah. Rocky Four. Rocky I was just going to say Rocky IV. <laughs> Let's get down ah, to You do not name one of the Rocky movies. You are wrong. Boo. Personally, yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking, you know, running on the beach, Rocky Three montage. That's my no, it's got to be Rocky is... Four, running in the snow, doing doing ab work <laughs> off the uh, the hayloft. Yeah, and, and well, climbing the mountain and, and, and screaming no, the Drago reason that, the reason into that's the Russian wilderness. The reason it's important is that in Rocky Three, he's doing it for him. Rocky Four, he's doing it for America. He's no. also doing it for sexy times with Apollo Creed because oh, the movie ends true. with the most homoerotic scene I've ever seen. Ever. Not, more than Brokeback yes. Mountain. Just... You want to ring the bell? Ding, ding. 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 <laughs> so it speaks volumes about this film that we ended it talking about montages in the Rocky movies. Uh, the, the less you know, we will uh, we will hopefully see more uh, comic book films and superhero films yeah. starring female characters soon as the protagonists. Hopefully, they'll be better than this. I mean, I think yeah. it also speaks volumes that we have spent we spent most of this time thinking about ways uh, about alternate versions of this movie that were much better, or just movies that we want to we would want to make. The amount of time that we have spent talking about the actual like the actual facts of this movie in the three hours we've been talking about, about this, 15 minutes. probably less than an hour yeah okay so we've conquered Electra guys uh, yes. the the next the next one though I, I I don't know why you're putting your hopes in this because it's man thing <laughs> because we don't know anything about it it was made it was for made theaters for and then theatrical re- release, but then was released straight to DVD. Straight, straight to Sci-Fi Channel DVD. Yeah. Um, Do you yes. want to have final thoughts? We're all, we're all good yeah. here. Oh, okay. okay. This one. And then, yes. and then she she got this swarmed one. by cats. <laughs> Is there more than one cat? That oh. Awesome. Like in uh, like in that X Files <laughs> episode that y'all love. Damn yeah, Tessos Dos Pichos. The best episode. Stop bringing up things I hate. You keep bringing up uh, Colin Farrell and Ryan Reynolds and that goddamn episode of the X-Files. If only I had a blue e-cig. Blue e-cig.